Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm so excited that one of my all-time favorite guests, Jamie Morimoto, has returned. You may remember way back in episode 24, when Jamie and I were discussing Pride and Prejudice, and she told me she doesn't really like to read romance. Well, listeners, there has been a plot twist. Not only does Jamie now read romance, but today she joined me to talk about why a rom-com called Beach Read by Emily Henry is the best book ever. Hello, Jamie Morimoto. Welcome back to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you for having me again. Second time (laughs) I've invited myself on. (laughs) Jamie, I'm so committed to this bookish relationship that we have. I just want to, I want to actually get it in pen right away to have you on again in 2022. Like I'm all in. I'm so into it because I keep having these like middle of the night. I think I did email you in the middle of the night to come back on because I had this like weird fugue state memory where I was like, did I say on the last episode that I Can I give a spoiler about what has changed in my reading life? Please. Okay. So on the last episode, I said, oh, I don't really read much romance. That's not Uh my thing. I'm not into it. And within a month of that, the book that we're going to talk about today, Beach Read by Emily Henry, came into my life and it completely changed my perception of the genre. And I would guess that close to 30% of the books that I have read this year since my last recording were romance books. Um, I love them. I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about my, about my previous assertions, because I think there was a lot of internalized sexism and like internalized misogyny in my dismiss dismissal in my dismissing the genre. Um, And then I emailed you just in the middle of the night. And I was like, Julie, I said something a year ago and I need to take it back publicly. Okay. So this is your public atonement. This is my public atonement. I was so wrong. Romance is such a great genre and I'm all in. Well, we are so delighted to have you over in Romance Landia, but let's, let's get to the, the heart of the question. What do you think? Why did you dislike it before, do you think? Why was it something you dismissed? Well, I feel like it's conflating the two. I thought I disliked it when really I had only dismissed it. I had barely read any. Okay. I'd barely read any. And I think it was several things. I think that the conceit of the genre, there's the promise of a happy ending. And I somehow felt that that made it less like art, which is possibly very unfair. And I think there's something about it being written oftentimes by women, but almost exclusively for women, though obviously not always. I know you've had a guest on who talked about um, hockey romance. Mm -hmm. I listened to that episode. It was wonderful. I forget his name. Yeah. uh, Jeff Adams. Uh Jeff. Yes. That was a great episode. Yeah. It was a great episode and a great book. And I hate hockey. I mean, I hate sports. (laughs) I mean, I hear you. So there's so much more within the romance umbrella than I understood. 
And I think I was dismissing it as you can get it at a grocery store. So it must not be worthy. I don't know. There were just so many things that I think are chalked up to me thinking that art made by women for women isn't cool or isn't high art. Uh Um, And I think the book we're talking about today is quite possibly the best defense of the genre that I have ever read. And it actually reminds me a great deal of Jane Austen's defense of the novel in her novel, Northanger Abbey. Um, I would bet that Emily Henry read that defense and was like, I can do it. I'm glad you brought up our friend Jane, our mutual friend Jane, since Mm -hmm. we talked last time about Pride and Prejudice. And you said one of my favorite quotes of all time on this podcast, which is that a lot of people don't like Pride and Prejudice or wouldn't Because I told you how surprised I was that nobody had chosen it to that point. I thought it was going to be the first one chosen on this Mm -hmm. podcast. And you said a lot of people don't like it because of the pumpkin spice factor. It's just, (laughs) right? Do you remember saying that? It's Um, just too Not really, but I'm hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. That sounds like me. And I have actually been thinking a lot about this, you know, that I hear the teenagers say things are basic all the time. She's such a basic bitch. And the thing about the word basic is it's always about things that women like. Yes. And I think that I was falling into that exact same trap that I was railing against in my Mm. holding up Jane Austen as the best book ever. Well, Pride and Prejudice specifically, but yes to all of her canon. At the same time as I was holding up Pride and Prejudice as being dismissed because of the pumpkin spice factor um, and being too basic, I was doing the exact same thing to an entire genre. And I have since seen the light. (laughs) I'm not somebody in my reading life who stays up all night reading. I'm always reading. I read every morning. I read at night before I fall asleep, but I know how to put, put a book down. This book, Beach Read by Emily Henry, and since then, several other romance novels have kept me up reading past my bedtime in a way that really sort of brought me back to the giddiness of reading in childhood, where even if you know where it's going to go, you just have to turn the page. You just have to see it. And there's magic in that. There's absolute magic in that. And it's hard to do that. It takes a great deal of skill. Did you know before you started this book that it was a romance? Well, I actually had this book recommended to me by a friend of the podcast, Leanie Moore. I think she goes by Eileen Glenmore. Oh, um, yeah. She's a, she's a good friend of mine. Oh, no kidding. Um, yes. And I had written a blog post during 2020. I was blogging. I've since had to put it to bed because my job got busy again. Um, largely about my life's interaction with the patriarchy and how, you know, once you identify it one time, you start seeing it everywhere. I had written a post about my love of Hallmark movies. And she, she and I were on Zoom and she sort of leans into the screen and goes, I read romance novels. She's, you know, an amazing artist, incredible reader, and has never recommended anything I didn't like. And she reads very widely across all genres. She's Mm -hmm. a poet, but when she came on Best Book Ever, I believe she spoke about, um, was it a YA fantasy? She chose Bitter Blue by Kristen Kishore. Yeah, she reads very, very widely. So it's really no surprise that she would also be delving into the romance genre because she is not as um, 
willing to toe the the party line in terms of <laughs> high art. She's like, if it's good, it's good. I don't care what shelf it's from. Um, and she gave me the recommendation of Beach Read. I got it from the library. I couldn't put it down. And then I reread it for this podcast and I felt the exact same way all over again. All these points you make, I agree with completely because I think what's interesting about the romance genre is that somehow the conventions of it, that which mm-hmm. and it has to end with happily ever after or happy for now. It has to mm-hmm. end with the main couple together. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a specific rule. It's somehow because of that convention, I, it's always looked down upon and mysteries aren't and mysteries have very specific rules. Mm-hmm. There has to be a dead body in chapter one and it has to be solved in the last chapter. And mm-hmm. It's the same strict convention, but oh my goodness, mystery writers are serious and sci-fi writers are more serious than romance writers. Why? Because they're men. I don't know. I mean, it seems to be the, the only real difference. If you're operating within a genre, I would contend that maybe the where artistry comes in is how do you fulfill those requirements, hit those same beats, meet those expectations, and do it in a fresh way that keeps a reader excited. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who reads within a genre, if you're reading mysteries all the time, you can probably guess who done it by the end of chapter one, unless it's done with artistry. And the same thing with a romance novel. Yes, you've got like two people mm-hmm. who are inevitably going to be either happily ever after or happy for now. Well, then why are we invested? Why do we want to see how they get there? And I love it now. You love it now. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) It really is. My life is better. My life is better. Like full stop. (laughs) Oh my God. This makes me so happy. (laughs) Me too. Whether they read a book a day or a book a year, I love asking people to tell me about their favorite books. And that includes you, dear listener. What's your all-time favorite? Your desert island classic? What about the childhood favorite that you still know by heart? The mystery that took you by surprise? The biography that changed your way of thinking? Or the book club favorite that you can't stop thinking about? I'm looking for guests from all walks of life to talk to me about all kinds of books here on the show. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a Guest on the Best Book Ever. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Now, back to the show. Why don't you tell my listeners what Beach Read is about? Beach Read is about two novelists, January and Gus, Mm -hmm. who knew each other in college and were rivals, and then went on to have their own separate careers. Gus writes literary fiction. January writes women's fiction. And one summer, they end up living next door to one another in two beach houses in Michigan. And soon after that, they form a pact that they will write each write a book in the other person's genre 
And from January, our protagonist's point of view, the goal is to prove that her genre is as difficult to write as his, even though it's sort of looked down upon in the mainstream. Part of how they've constructed this deal is he's going to give her lessons in researching for literary fiction and she's going to give him lessons in romance. Right. So they go to a carnival. They walk by the beach. They do datey things that would show up in. She refers to it as women's fiction, which I think it is, but it's also in a romance novel, which is, I would say, like a subgenre, maybe. And then he takes her. We can't forget that part of where he takes her. Camping. But where is very significant. Oh, (laughs) this is the thing about this book that is so remarkable to me. I can I can remember almost nothing about it except for how it makes me feel. And I think that's actually a testament to how wonderful it is that like the plot is there and is beautifully constructed and is good. He takes her camping at the site of a burned down cult. Yeah, right. Which is where he has decided to write his love story. Right. (laughs) Is in a cult. Just Um, not funny. I don't know why it makes the, it's weird that this book is so funny. It's hilarious. They're incredibly funny together. They're like, super charming. You can tell they're meant to be together even before they know they're meant to be together. When you went in to this, were you thinking like, oh, this is going to be so dumb or I'm just going to skim through this and be done with it? Like, what were your expectations for this particular one? I feel like I went into it with a pretty open mind, actually, because it was recommended by somebody whose taste I really trust. Mm-hmm. He had recommended books to me before that were outside of my my usual fare. And I'd liked all of them. So I was like, well, she said it's good. Give it a shot. It's a library book. That's pretty low stakes. Right. Like, If I don't like it, I'll just be like, oh yeah, it was great. And then I'll change the subject when she asks me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you normally tell her when you have your book whisperer, do you tell her if you don't like it? I mean, in Lini's case, it hasn't happened. That I don't oh like. Oh my it. God, those are magical friends. They're magical friends. Though I also am usually pretty reluctant to take a recommendation. I al- I often feel overwhelmed by there being too many books and being unable to finish all the books that I want to read. So when people are handing books to me, I'm kind of like, leave me alone. Keep your eyes on your own paper. <laughs> it takes a-, a great deal of trust in a person that if they'll yeah. tell me to read a book, I'll actually go get it. Yeah. Um, she's one of those people for me. This is sort of a shallow question, but it is it pertains to the way we are talking about this book. What do you think of the cover of this book? I like it, but I also think it's misleading. It makes it seem like it's going to be simpler than it is. Like it's not going to be as smart as it is because it's a very smart book to be simultaneously defending all of these beats within a genre and then create a plot that fulfills those expectations. She's doing both at once. It's a, it's a juggling act. Yes. That she is doing. Um, And she's pulling it off. That said, I bet that the cover they chose sold a lot more books than a cover that makes it seem like it's going to be a smart read Mm -hmm. that makes it seem like it's going to be this intellectual high wire act complete with happily ever after and some like 
really impressively not cheesy sex writing, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. Yep. <laughs> Takes some skill to not make me laugh when I'm reading a sex scene. Did you feel like they kind of addressed it? Like I, that was the other thing that I thought was so clever in this was that January several times gets in a few digs about just because it's about women, just because it's about falling in love. It's not less of a book. Absolutely. I actually pulled that page because I knew the one. So I've got it here. Um, She says, if you swapped out all of my Jessica's for John's, do you know what you would get? Fiction, just fiction, ready and willing to be read by anyone. But somehow by being a woman who writes about women, I've eliminated half the Earth's, Earth's population from my potential readers. And you know what? I don't feel ashamed of that. I feel pissed. Like, beautifully said. What else is there to say? It's a mic drop moment. Where did you go after this? You closed this and you went, oh my God, I like romance. So what'd you do next? I don't think I went to another romance right away. It kind of felt like a little bit of a one-off and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I should re-examine that bias. (laughs) (laughs) I should stop just immediately thinking that that section of the bookstore is not for me. Um, But I do book of the month club. And they Mm -hmm. let you choose one of five books. It's a curated thing. They're not paying me, but oh my God, do I love Book of the Month. Um, It's the best mail I get all month. It really is. Mm. Um, And I started looking at the romance titles through Book of the Month. I also, I listened to your podcast and I started noticing when romance books popped up. I read um, The Hating Game by Sally Thorne on the recommendation of... Jamie. Mm-hmm. Her, her name's Jamie Albright. It was really just a matter of slowly opening the door. I'm, I'm in a book club and they had chosen too many sad books in a row and they didn't know what to do. So I went and found The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren and they were like, yes, great, perfect. Finally, something that's not going to make us contemplate whether or not <laughs> the world means anything at all. <laughs> It's nice to read something that has a happy ending. It's nice Mm. to admit that we care about human connection when absolutely, well, not absolutely everybody on earth does. Like there are people who maybe don't care about that, but the vast majority do care about human connection and do end up wanting to have some sort of a life partner in some capacity. Everybody wants to be loved. Mm -hmm. This is a book about people who want to be loved, finding love. How is that not worthy? And particularly now, it hit really hard now, didn't it? Because it's it's not like we're, it's really hard to meet new friends right now. I mean, it is once you leave college anyway, but particularly after this year of isolation, mm-hmm. I was reading this thinking how neat it would be to just meet someone new and form a new friendship or relationship. It's been so long since I've had that new connection in person. Mm-hmm. I have tons of them on Zoom. Yeah, tons of them on Zoom. I have this summer had a chance to meet some new people out in the world. And it's been so wonderful. And it's, I live in Minnesota. So for me, I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, I've got about three more weeks before I have to just stay inside again. And like this opportunity isn't going to feel safe anymore. 
when we talked about Pride and Prejudice and I knew what you were doing as a feminist blogger and I asked you specifically, how does a feminist approach Pride and Prejudice? And that was such an interesting conversation. And so I want to ask you, as you go forward, as you go forth into this new life of being a romance reader, how are you approaching your your reading life as a feminist romance reader? I will say that I have been pleasantly surprised how little I feel like my romance reading is at odds with my identity as a feminist. And I think that's largely because of contemporary romance writers really valuing women's empowerment. You know, you'll read um, all of these more like explicit love scenes and there is a conversation about consent that is put Mm -hmm. in to the storyline and treated as loving and sexy and like all the things. Um, But I would say my initial perception of romance before having read it, I thought it was a lot of like pushing women up against bookshelves or Mm -hmm. actually, no, that's that's something that happens in Beach Read. (laughs) He pushes her up against a bookshelf, but like in a good way. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) I know. In a good way. In a good Um, way. Yeah. But I thought it was a lot of like women being like taken by a man who is going to show her what happiness is like. And I really was not into what I thought that was. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't gone back to read much other than the new releases because there's so much out there. Um, But that would be really where for me it would be a hard no yeah is i am not interested in reading a love story about a man pursuing a woman who isn't that interested and then he wears her down that's not appealing to me that sort of thing and it seems like in contemporary romance writing that's not even the conversation it is a much more equal footing and these women have things in their lives other than just a desire for love yeah don't go back because I've I've been a romance reader for a long time, and they were there's no doubt a lot of them are just very rapey. Uh, that does not surprise me to hear. I've been rewatching a lot of television that I used to really love from 20 years ago, and 20 years ago is not that long ago in mm-hmm. like the global landscape mm-hmm. in the history of the world. But boy, oh boy, some of those love stories are messed up. Yeah, like which ones, for example? Um. Well, I've been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. And if you think too hard, I was also an adolescent when I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you think too hard about how old Angel really is, that's a big problem. Um, Spoilers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Also, Yeah, which I've never seen, but I know the story. And that's always the thing in the vampire ones. Mm -hmm. It's always a thing in the vampire ones. I suspect it's because it appeals to the adolescent brain that believes they're so mature and that they could handle it. But once you're not in possession of that adolescent brain, it's troubling. There's been some of that that I'm not so into. Um, There's another storyline on Buffy the Vampire Slayer that gives me some pause and it's Buffy Mm. and Spike later on. Really just some people are all in on the Buffy Spike storyline and it left me pretty upset. What's the problem with that one? Well, she's in a dark place. And so she sort of gets into this friends with benefits with a guy who she hates, but like, he's kind of rapey. It's a little violent. 
it might speak to like whatever psychological stuff was going on with her, but I don't know, man. Yeah. I remember in film school, there was always that conversation about those scenes, like the one in um, Gone with the Wind. That one scene, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie where they're fighting and he basically just kisses her and takes her up the stairs. And the next morning, she's all of a sudden like, oh, I really do like Rhett and his sexual prowess. Well, yeah, but that was not a consensual thing. But, you know, he basically assaulted you into liking him. And and that happens Mm -hmm. when you look into those old movies where the woman is going, no, no, no. And then he fades to black and the next morning she's wildly in love with him and that myth of they can just bully us into it yeah which is that's also a subgenre in erotica there's bully erotica have you heard of that really yeah no i have not heard of that um i guess i'm not entirely surprised because you know there's a lid for every pot Exactly right. Well, my friends who have read it say that consent is still a big part of the conversation mm-hmm. of those books, but okay, um, that's not my thing it's, at all. I don't like that. I've never read any of them. I mean, I hesitate to be like, that's not my thing. Cause then next year, 2022, I'm going to be like, okay, guess what I'm into now. <laughs> Jamie, tell me what you're reading right now. I am currently reading Having and Being Had by Eula Biss, which is a collection of essays about the intersection of art and capitalism. It's fascinating. What is it? Tell me what it teaches you or tells you. It's, (laughs) I mean, they're sort of lyric essays or more like meditations, bunches and bunches of very short little moments um, with Biss's sort of attempt to understand what capitalism is and how it impacts her life as an artist. She's a poet and lyric essayist. She's probably best known for her book On Immunity, um, which was on some bestsellers lists and I think probably got a couple of awards. And people were reading it all over again during 2020 because suddenly understanding inoculation was really useful. Um, I guess there are little nuggets because it's not really plot driven um, or thesis driven. Um, I learned that the game of Monopoly was invented by somebody who was actually trying to teach why capitalism is problematic and that initially there were two sets of rules. One, which is winner take all, And the alternate set of rules, which allowed people to work collaboratively, and there was ultimately no winner, and that when it was bought by, is it Parker Brothers? I can't recall. Uh, That sounds right. By the the board game people. Yeah. Um, They did not publish both sets of rules. It's winner take all, and that's what we play now. So, like, the collaborative one, like you would think all four of the neighborhoods have all sorts of houses and all the hotels and yeah, something like that. She doesn't get into the, the nitty gritty of the rules, but just the idea that it was actually written or created as a game to demonstrate that capitalism is deeply problematic and in Uh many ways unfair because one person gets everything and everyone else is 
left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a whole other set of rules. Same board, same pieces. That is incredible. Yeah. So lots so how, of little things like that. How does she say an artist is to exist in this environment? That's the real question. I don't know that she draws a conclusion so much as she draws many little conclusions that might contradict one another. And I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's almost too much to wrap your head around and she does a really great job of trying, but we'll see. I've still got a couple more essays left before I finish that one. Would you tell your fellow um, academics that you had read and loved Beatread? Uh, yeah, I think I would. I think I would, but I will say the the people from my academic past who I'm still in touch with are like down fun people who won't uh-huh. sort of look down their nose at something that's not of their caliber because, you know, I kept the good ones. <laughs> will you tell my listeners where they can find you? They can find me on Instagram, basically exclusively at suddenly underscore suburban, which is my on hiatus for over a year blog. Um, but I do still have the Instagram account. I'm really not on social media. It bums me out to be on social media. So I'm like out in nature with my dog. Most of the time they can find me in the twin cities on various nature trials. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Or in bookstores. Or in bookstores, <laughs> yes. Jamie, I want to thank you for joining me again. Can I put it in pen that I'm going to see you this time in 2022? Yes, put it in pen. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have had some other huge transformation in my reading life that I cannot wait to share. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. If you loved this episode as much as I loved making it, why not leave a review wherever you're listening? Each review helps new listeners find my work, and I'm so grateful for your help. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.